Good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jonathan. And I stood there terrified as the pastor asked me to fill in for him. As we were sitting there just now, I saw a beautiful little lady in an orange dress, not wanting to come up here with the rest of the kids. She was terrified. I can relate. I read somewhere that public speaking is the biggest fear of most of the people polled in America. To put that in context, it was followed by being buried alive. <laughs> and in the number three spot was even being eaten alive by an animal. So, <laughs> puts it in context for you. And I'm kind of wishing I had brought my dog. He tends to help me with my stress, but according to him, it's not dignified to carry him around in a front pack anymore. So I'm left doing this myself. And you know, I want to do this. I, I love God and I love sharing his messages. When the pastor asked me to do this for him, I thought, I don't think I'm at all qualified. What could I possibly share anyway that would be of interest to my, my family, my peers? But I was inspired that I am an individual and you guys aren't all studying what I'm studying at this moment. And even if you've studied it before, we are human. So you forget. So we'll come back around to it. When I started trying to put this together, I was worried I wouldn't have enough material. I started tinkering here and there, and I ended up with two or three texts and a couple thoughts that I was able to make coherent. <laughs> and it took about this much on the paper. <laughs> and I thought, I'm not going to have enough material to be a blessing to these people. But truly what happened was the hard part was narrowing it down and whittling it down to something recognizable as a coherent thought. So what I ended up with was about 10 hours of worth of material to share with you. So here we go. I'm just kidding. I whittled it down as much as I could. The, another difficult part for me was getting my slides correct. I'm not an expert, but it looks like some of them are a little bit small and you won't be able to read the text I'm sharing with you. But what I'm going to do is play it off like I did that on purpose. You're forced to open your Bibles and look it up yourself. So when you can't read one, let's do that. But first, I need to start with prayer. I can't do this without God's help. I want to do this for God. I don't want to do it for me. At the end of this, you might be, wow, John did a good job, or wow, John didn't do a good job. Either way, don't, don't tell me. <laughs> well, if I did a bad job, please tell me constructively. But if I did a good job, don't tell me. Uh, thank God for the message and... Don't give me the opportunity to get a big head. But um, I, I do want to start with prayer, and I'm going to do something kind of selfish during that prayer. My sister was rushed to the hospital yesterday, so I'm going to lift her up with everybody here so I can put the burden on you, and you can share that burden with me and clear my head to be able to do this. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, what an honor it is to be before you. I have one burden on my heart, and that is you allow me to be a blessing to these people. I want these people to be blessed. They're my friends and my family. And you love them, so I love them. And I'm hoping that the message you inspired me to give them is a message that needs to be heard and will be a tremendous blessing to them, that they will digest it. It will become part of them, helping them to grow up in you. And Lord, I lift up my sister before you today. We don't really even know what's wrong yet, but she's my sister, and I love her dearly. But 
with the help of my family, we put that burden before you and ask for your help with it. And we pray for the strength to accept your will. In your precious and holy name, amen. So enough vamping. I guess I can't do that forever. The topic, perfection. Is he serious? He's doing that for his first time? Let's give some context to that. Open your Bibles with me. I will try and put these on the screen, but again, I, I'm not very good at this yet. So let me hear some Bibles open. Let's go to Matthew 5:48. For those of you who don't know, that is in the New Testament. It's the first book. Matthew 5:48. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. I hear Bibles turning. Thank you. Matthew 5.48 reads, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Perfection. Wow. No pressure, right? Now when we think of Christian perfection, a lot of things may come to mind. Some of them negative, right? We might think of those perfect Christians who look down on us because we're not as perfect as them. Does that thought come to mind? Or we might even think of those legalists who do everything so perfectly down to tithing their herb garden. Wow. We don't quite compare, do we? Or even more damaging, our thoughts might turn to the overwhelming impossibility of it. When we think of perfect in the context of God... Is that really what we think? That that's impossible? Thank you, Steve, for sitting up here. It's funny, I was thinking that might help me. A smiling face always helps. Would God really ask us to do something or to be a way we couldn't be? That wasn't rhetorical. You can answer. No? No. A resounding no. Of course not. Deuteronomy 18.13, Moses says, God said that thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. Moses is speaking to a nation. He's speaking to God's nation. You should be perfect with the Lord your God. As a matter of fact, it's believed when Jesus said that in Matthew 5.48, we just read, be thou perfect. He is actually quoting this statement from Moses. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. Now you can sort of understand why a perfect God would say that. How can a perfect God ask us anything less? He is perfect. His standard is perfect. He's calling us to follow his perfect standard. Can I get an amen? Okay. You're following my logic. I'm doing okay so far. So what kind of perfection is God talking about? What do you guys think when you think perfection? I think some of us might think of a robot. Maybe, like a stainless steel, perfect and clean. I personally think robots are really cool, but they're far from perfect. But is is this the kind of perfection God wants from us? I don't think any of you would appreciate your family if they were robots, would you? Would you want to live in that kind of society? 
you think that God wanted really some perfect robots to hang out with? That's why he made us? No. 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 So what perfection is God talking about? For help, let's turn to the dictionary. I looked up perfect. You're not going to be able to read some of these. So take out your opera glasses, you know, little... It is a little bit small, but I'm going to read it off to you. The definition of perfect. I have five definitions here. Conforming absolutely to a definition of an ideal type. Excellent or complete beyond practical or theoretical improvement. How would you like to be be beyond improvement? Can you imagine that? Those Those of us men who are married, we know we're not perfect. Number three, exactly fitting the need of a certain situation for a certain purpose. Number four, entirely without any flaws, defects, or shortcomings. Do you guys know anybody like that? Entirely without any flaws, defects, or shortcomings. Number five, accurate, exact, or correct in every detail. So when you hear the words perfect Christian, probably none of us feel like we qualify. You're like, John, you just made us feel a little bit worse, maybe. And none of us are naturally perfect. We all know that. But in building my line of logic, I need to build on that. Isaiah 53, 6. All of we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Not God's will, but our own will. Our own will being done in us. Ecclesiastes 7.20 For there is not a just man on the earth that does not do good and does not sin. I'm sorry. For there is not a just man on earth that does good and does not sin. And then, of course, there's Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. And if sin is the transgression of the law and we have all sinned, it means we have all broken the law. We are imperfect. And we can't change that. Jeremiah 13, 23, to put a finer point on it. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. He's saying, can you just switch? You're accustomed to doing evil. Can you just start doing good? So our natural and sinful hearts don't ever do God's will. And we are all doomed to to lives of perpetual disobedience and rebellion and waywardness constantly falling short of God's standard, always letting him down. Okay, that's it. Have a great Sabbath. (laughs) Could you imagine if I left you there? Could you imagine if that's where God leaves us? Praise God that's not where he leaves us. Amen? All of us are broken, wonderfully and beautifully broken. But that's a beautiful thing, what God does with us, isn't it? God does heal us, but only if we let him. Only if we cooperate with him. There are examples in the Bible of people that God calls perfect and godly. These people let him work in them. They cooperated with him. They became holy. Some examples would be Noah, Genesis 6-9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. There's that word, 
perfect. But you guys all know Noah wasn't perfect in the way we think of the word perfect, right? Noah made mistakes. Noah was human. He was born a human. And although he walked with God for a long time, longer than we'll be able to, (laughs) a couple hundred years, I think he died at 300 and something. Probably should have looked that up before I said that. But he walked with God. God says it himself right here. And of course, there's Enoch, Genesis 5, 24. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him, and he was not. I love that. Just all of a sudden, he wasn't. His, his friends, his family, his homies were like, where did he go? I love how it just says that. He was not. Not only Noah walked with God, but Enoch walked with God. Now, he must have been doing something right, because God took Enoch to heaven, right? We all know that. We believe that. I want that. I want what Enoch was and what he had. Don't you? Enoch didn't earn his way to heaven. He got to the point through God's grace where he was ready for it. Another one. Abraham. (laughs) Abraham. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws... This is God talking about Abraham. What a glowing reference that is, right? Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Sounds almost like God's proud of him when he's saying that. I think he is. In Hebrew, when you read the word perfect, from some of these texts I've been sharing with you, the word perfect will keep popping up. It's a theme. You'll notice a theme. The word that they translated into perfect in the Old Testament, was Hebrew, the word tamim. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Please don't try and copy me. You'll probably sound silly. Now, tamim, in the Hebrew, entire integrity, truth without blemish, complete, full, sincere, sound, without spot, undefiled, upright, and whole. Does that describe anybody here? No? So we're, we're still not any closer? The two terms for perfect, two, two of these terms for perfect seem to indicate something that is in process or in the process of growing. Full, complete, whole. So we're starting to get some clues what this really means for us in a practical sense. So some of these texts I've been sharing with you, be therefore perfect. If you read a different translation than what I'm reading, some of them say, be therefore mature. Does that help us understand it a little bit better? Mature. So think of it, instead of God saying, be perfect, and you're like, ooh, you look in the mirror, the mirror of your soul, I am not perfect. How can I possibly stand before God when I'm not meeting that standard? God doesn't want you to be discouraged, so it's important we understand what he means. Would it help if he said, be therefore mature? Now, I don't mean mature like your little brother saying, you're so immature. Mature, there's a... There's a action in mature. It's growing up. It's growing up in Christ. 
who, who could fault you if when you're a baby, you can't do half the things I can do, and I'm old? Who would fault you for that? You don't expect that from a baby, but you would expect some of these things from me. I'm more mature as a human. Well, my wife would probably beg to differ, but I mean in terms of growth. You know, someday when I'm a big boy and I'm good at this, I won't need these papers. I believe we can be perfect in each stage of progress. That's what I'm getting out of this. We've seen stories of Bible heroes who, whose lives honored God. And even though they made mistakes, God called them perfect. They were perfect when they were abiding in Christ. Amen? Amen. Jesus said in his dedication prayer in John 17, 23, Oh, shoot, I missed something very important. I knew this was going to happen. Let's go back just a moment. In the New Testament, the word for perfect in Greek is teleos. The Old Testament was in Hebrew. The New Testament was in Greek. So that was a challenge to translate. But in Greek, the word for perfect is teleos, complete in all its parts, full-grown, of full age, consummated goal, mature, or going through the necessary stages to reach the end goal. You guys see that? Going through the necessary stages to reach the end goal. So you look in the mirror. God says, be therefore perfect. You look in the mirror, you're like, I am not perfect. Far from it. Are you going through the necessary stages to reach the end goal? Are you growing in Christ? When you come to Christ, you are a certain way. When you abide in Christ, you grow in Christ, given 50 years. Are you going to be that same way when you started? So what's, what's God asking of us? Back to where I was. Jesus said in his dedication prayer, John 17, 23, I and them and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one. Perfect. How can we be perfect? I think we're getting somewhere. As we are in Christ, Christ is in God, we can be perfect in him. We'd like to talk about Christian perfection as a cloak or... Christ's robe of righteousness covering our sins. And praise God he does. But that is standing before the judgment of God that he needs to cover our sins. He's not going to keep covering our sins if we're just under that cloak sinning and having a a rager. We We don't do that under Christ's cloak of righteousness. That is not its function. Let's give another example of a couple of people God gave a glowing reference to, even though they made mistakes. Zacharias and Elizabeth. John the Baptist's parents. You remember what happened to Zacharias, right? He was ministering in the temple as a priest. He was in rotation. And an angel appeared to him and said, you're going to have a baby. And he was very old, so he scoffed. And as a result, the angel said, okay, well, due to your lack of faith, you won't be able to talk until your baby's born. 
I need to reorient. I'm giving these people too much attention. So you won't be able to talk until your baby's born. So he was rebuked in a way for his lack of faith. He didn't believe the angel. He should have known better. I mean, he was a priest. He worked in the temple. He had heard the story of Abraham having a baby in his old age. But no, his faith faltered. And God rebuked him. Thank God it was just a slap on the wrist, right? But it was a learning tool for him to build his faith. If God said he's going to do it, he should have believed it. And a miracle would have happened. A miracle did happen. But what does, what does Scripture say about Zacharias and Elizabeth, even though Zacharias made that mistake? Luke 1, 6. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and his decrees blamelessly. That word blameless right there in other translation is also perfect. You guys picking up on this common thread yet? I didn't weave this, by the way. The Bible is a beautifully woven tapestry. Actually, one of the biggest challenges I had here was staying on topic because I'd pursue one, like Christian perfection, and I'd end up on a, on a different thread just because I could fill up hours just talking about the love of Christ. The Bible is woven together like that. I was like a chihuahua with ADD. I could not stick with one topic. Oh, I'll do this. This is so cool. This is so cool. By the grace of God, I finally pulled it together. (laughs) But he said they were righteous in his sight, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. That sounds like perfection to me. That's all I want. If God can say, child, you are righteous before me. Imagine hearing what God would say to you, or I'm sorry, what God would say about you to a third party, like he was saying about Zacharias and Elizabeth right here. What would God say? Ooh, it's a bit rough, isn't it? Well, maybe you're just being too rough on yourselves. It is possible for humans to have a perfect experience with God. It is possible, and that's what I want. That's what we all need. Amen? Amen. But was Zacharias perfect? Because we just relayed the story of him and his faith, how it faltered for a moment. Maybe not in the way we usually think of perfect. Like, if you think of something as perfect, you think of something that never makes a mistake, I suppose. Maybe that's where we feel a bit uneasy about the word perfect. You think if there was ever a mistake you made, you were no longer perfect. Kind of like a new car. It's perfect until it breaks down that one time and you never trust it again. But thank God that's not the kind of perfection he's talking about. Philippians 3.15 Wow, I did not do a good job there. White on white background? I'm not sure what I was thinking. Oh, that's right. I wanted you to open your Bibles. That's right. Philippians 3.15, Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. He said perfect there. You know, I looked it up in, because I use the New King James, I looked it up in the King James, and he said, Let us therefore as many as be mature be thus minded speaking to the more mature members of his congregation. Perfection. 
James 3.2, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. I believe that. My problem is offending in word. Am I the only one? But he said, if someone can bridle their tongue and sense out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, if you could be perfect in what you say, you might have a perfect heart. If any man cannot offend in word, the same as a perfect man. That's an exciting standard. I'm sure we've all made mistakes. We've said things that have hurt people's feelings and we felt terrible about it. Imagine never doing that ever. I still do that sometimes. By the grace of God, I'm not like I used to be when I was young, but I still do it sometimes. Um, often just because I'm not thinking when I, when I talk. Am I the only one that does that too? <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? The heart of this matter is there is a big lie that Satan has put forth and brainwashed the masses into believing. And that lie is that you cannot be a perfect Christian. Do you all believe that's a lie? Wow, I'm the only one? Am I reading the right papers here? We've just been building on this theory that we can be perfect. Perfect. God said Abraham was perfect. God said Noah was perfect. He said Zacharias and Elizabeth was perfect. Don't you want to be perfect? I want to be perfect in God. Why do we want to be perfect? Are we winning an award? That'd be cool to win an award. No. We're not doing it because we're winning an award. We're going to be perfect. Our goal is perfection because God told us to. We love God, right? Amen? We love God, and God told us to do this. Not only did he tell us to this, to do this, he promised us we could do this. Why discount ourselves or devalue ourselves by not hitting that standard? Why settle for anything less? Satan would have you believe that we can postpone perfection of character until Christ comes. That is an attractive, attractive lie. When Christ comes, <laughs> see, here comes a whole other study. <laughs> we could talk about uh, justification, sanctification, and then glorification. Glorification is when Christ comes, and he takes the, his righteous family back to heaven with him. Glorification is a wonderful topic. Everyone loves to talk about glorification, and I do too. I love it. I absolutely love it. But Satan would have you believe that, just put that off until Christ gets here. He will take you. He will give you a new body. We've, we've read that in scriptures. He gives us a new immortal body. And then all those defects in your character, he'll work those out too. Imagine how sad that makes Christ when he gets here and he expects you to be a perfect, mature son of his and you were putting it off because Satan said you could, and that's way easier. And you aren't redeemed. He says, I don't know you. Imagine that. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. 
going back to the robot analogy. But we've read, be therefore perfect. And we've read that people that made mistakes, God still called them perfect. So it's not the perfection you're thinking about where you can never have made a mistake, you can never have stepped on someone's toes. It's not that kind of perfection. Jesus came to save us from our sins. The first words out of John the Baptist's mouth when he started preaching was repent. He didn't say, no, you're fine. Stay in sin. God loves you. Amen? Repent of what? Repent of sin. When Jesus began his ministry, he started out by saying, repent of sin. The kingdom of God is at hand. So the main problem we wrestle with is sin. We like to catch couch can't even read my own writing. We like to couch half the gospel. In other terms, we love to talk about, and I love to talk about it too, love, grace, mercy. Those are very important components of Christianity, but that's only half of it. Satan's very happy if you focus on half of Christianity. As long as you're lost, he is happy. And I'm not trying to get you lost either, and I'm not trying to promote legalism. That's not what I'm saying. I'm trying to help us understand the great and high calling God has given all of us that we can reach through his grace. Psalms 119.46. I love to do your will. Nope. See, you guys didn't catch it. That was a, that was a trick. Yeah. Psalms 40 verse 8. I delight to do your will, oh my God, and your law is within my, within my heart. Praise God. Do we all want that to be our exclamation? I love to do the will of God. Is that legalism? And so we struggle with sin in our lives. You know when sin happens? You know I'm right-handed. You think I'd be giving these people more attention. But you've all heard I'm new at this. You know when sin happens? It's when we're not abiding in Christ. If we don't have the love of God, then the only other motive left is selfishness, and we will sin. Whether it manifests itself in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life, or any other form of selfishness, we will be gravitating towards selfishness. And that's where we have problems in our relationships with each other, in our relationships with God. God wants to save us from our sins. Here's the point. He doesn't want to save us from some of our sins. He wants to save us from all of them. Be ye therefore perfect. It's a command as well as a promise. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Are you inspired? Do you love God for what he's offering to give you and do for you? Do you love God for having a high standard? I love that God has a high standard. Imagine if God slacked off in any way. For instance, uh, just let one of the electrons stop going around its course. (laughs) And that's tiny. That's not to mention going down even further on the level to string theory. That's tiny. Or if he slacked off and let our moon stop doing what it's doing, our earth would fall apart. Even if the moon stopped doing what it was doing. And that's just our moon. That's just... Imagine if he slacked off in any way and his his standard wasn't high or perfect for us. Praise God that he has a high standard that he calls us to. 
not a standard he can point to and say, you didn't make it. That's not God. That is not God. Now, you may be thinking, that's all well and nice, but I still can't overcome sin. I can't be perfect. I can't change my spots. And you know what? You're right. You can't. But Jesus can. Now, what does that mean in a practical sense? I usually, uh, I teach Sabbath school sometimes, and I'm so used to having each of these bullet points start a conversation. I'm kind of waiting for you guys to start talking. So what does this mean for us in a practical sense? If the power is with Christ, I don't even need to do anything, right? Leave that all on God. Now we're kind of sliding back downhill to where we're thinking, like, oh, God will deal with that when he gets here. He's going to give me a new body. Maybe he'll give me new impulses and a new heart, too. That's not what Scripture teaches. This life is the developing ground for our characters. Our bodies as well, but God's going to give us a new body. He is not going to give you a new character when he comes. You're building it now with his help. You are growing in Christ right now. Back to the toddler analogy. If he happens to come when you're only five years old, you will continue to grow. In heaven, you will continue to grow. But that doesn't mean that we should slack off and wait for that to happen. Right? So in a practical sense, what does this mean? If the power is with Christ, what part do I play? Oh my word, time is flying. I really thought that I was going to end up going short. You guys are okay going that 10 hours I talked about, right? (laughs) If the power is with Christ, what part do I play? We give ourselves wholly to him. Holy, both spellings, the homonym. Holy with a W, holy with an H. Completely, we give ourselves to Christ. We do our best, and I mean truly do our best, not say, oh yeah, I did my best. We give our best, and thank God, his half of it, Christ's half of it, he truly does his best. And the result is a perfect Christian. I'm glad none of you raised your hand when I said, are we perfect? Are you perfect? Anyone out there like that? It shows you're not delusional. We shouldn't have that kind of ego. God says be perfect. Let's strive for that. But that's not something that we're going to go around bragging about. <laughs> I'll try and wrap this up here. I'm getting hypnotized by the sound of my own voice. So we do our best and we let Christ do his. But you might say, John, that's, that's all well and good. But I'm struggling. I'm struggling. That is great news. That is great news that you're struggling. That is absolutely great news that you're struggling. Say you're saying you're out canoeing. You round a bend in one of the Everglades, and you come upon another human. But this human's face down in the water, not moving. Would you rather come upon that or come upon someone that is struggling? Struggling is a sign of life. Struggling is a sign of life. It absolutely is. So praise God you're struggling. People sometimes wonder, have I gone too far? Have I, have I gone too far where God can't forgive me or doesn't want to forgive me anymore? The fact that you're worried about that means that you haven't. So keep struggling. Keep struggling. Sometimes the struggle is more intense than others. 
but hang on to God. Let him change you. And trust me, he will. Life will always be a struggle, but it sometimes is more intense in some moments than, than others. Hang in there. Like Jacob, the old Bible hero, the old, Bible, the old Testament Bible hero. Hang in there. Don't let go. Jacob is one of my favorite Bible heroes. He absolutely is. For you, I'm sure you all know the story, but some of you can use a refresher. Jacob left his home after defrauding his father and his brother, and he fled to his uncle. He spent 21 years working for him as a shepherd, a hired hand working outside. In that time spent alone outside, Jacob, by God's grace, was changed. He deeply regretted what he had done in his youth, and he repented. God forgave him. God worked in him. God also made him work outside for 21 years. (laughs) That'll build character. You know, God did that a couple times in the Bible for Moses. Moses, after he killed that Egyptian, he was 40. God sent him into the desert to, for training, basically. He was there for 40 years as a shepherd, working by himself outside in the heat and the frost. Seems to develop good character. If you're struggling, maybe take up shepherding. But getting back to Jacob, one day God told him to return home to his, his father's house. And naturally he was afraid of what his brother would do. But God told him to go, so he went. And on his way home, he sent, he sent a messenger to his brother saying, I'm coming, and this is the attitude in which I'm coming. I'm sorry, and I'm going to make amends. The messenger returns and tells Jacob his brother is headed his way with an army of armed men, and he is super mad. Wow, this isn't going well. Oh, did I mention this story is a Christophany? A place in the Old Testament where Christ appears on earth. Right? Just get a little more interested. There are a couple components here I don't want you to miss. Jacob did what God told him to do. He was put in a situation of danger, but he did that obeying God. He wasn't just wandering around aimlessly and being negligent. Also, Jacob did everything he could to avoid problems. He sent his family away. He sent that messenger to his brother, left it in God's hands. So here he sets, he put it in God's hands, and there's an army headed his way. If you guys want to pick up with me on this, it's worth reading. That was a trick. You've got to look it up in your actual Bible. Oh, I have it written down here. Right? So Jacob sends his family away for their safety and prepares for a night of waiting for his brother alone. He crosses the river to find a spot for prayer. And while he is praying, he feels a hand on his shoulder. Immediately, he thinks he must, it must be his brother or one of his armed men. So he grabs the hand and struggles and wrestles. He wrestles hard and long until, the, the, until daybreak. We pick our story up in Genesis 32:25. When the man, speaking of Jesus, saw that he could not overpower him, Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I love this story. When I'm struggling, when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling weak, and all I can do is hold on to God, I love this story because I know other people went through it and it worked. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Praise God. I think uh, I want that on my tombstone. 
Then in verse 27, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and man and have overcome. Awesome. I love that story. <laughs> I have a friend named Jacob, and he's a, he's a Christian. He was born in a Christian home. And I, when I met him, I said, I love your name, Jacob. Why? <laughs> well, he's one of the coolest characters in the Old Testament. Don't you know? He's all, no. What did he do? <laughs> so I had this awesome opportunity to tell him what his namesake meant. <laughs> but awesome. Jacob wrestled with Jesus and prevailed. He even had a dislocated hip, and he tenaciously hung on to God until he blessed him. It makes me wonder if he had not grabbed that hand and started going all MMA on him, what Christ's plans were for him. He's probably going to have a conversation like, oh, by the way, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> but instead, he went the hard way. How many of us do that? We go the hard way. But I still love that story. It's tremendously inspiring. Now, I don't want you guys to think this is a recipe for making God or forcing God to do something for you. Jacob's motive was pure. He wanted forgiveness, and he wanted assurance that his sins were forgiven and he was to stand before God perfect. That's what he wanted. That's what he was tenaciously hanging on for. If you're struggling, and I know some of you are, hang on. Wrestle. Fight. God will bless you. But you have to be tenacious. You have to be tenacious. A lot of people think of Christians, and they think of meek. God's asked us to be meek. In fact, he's commanded us to be meek. And that's a wonderful trait but it's not mutually exclusive from being tenacious you can be tenacious and you can be meek at the same time isn't that what we were just shown jacob was tenacious he physically had jesus in his hands if there was unrighteousness in him he would have been destroyed like that but he was tenacious he held on now in closing i've kept you guys a little longer than i anticipated thank you for bearing with me the subject is just so wonderful but in closing let me, sh- let me show you a biblical example of the tenacity God's looking for. Well, a couple, actually. And you will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. Amen. Does that sound like tenacity to you? Amen. Is that a passive effort? No. Passive efforts produce passive results. An, an analogy that works really well for me, because I, I exercise normally, I, I love lifting weights way more than I love running. But I'll, I'll meet some people who are just getting into it, and they're so excited, you know, and they start lifting weights, start lifting weights, and then I see them a while later. Oh, man, John, I haven't made any progress. I'm no stronger. I'm no bigger than I was. Well, what have you been doing? Oh, you know, I've been doing like 30 minutes three or four times a week. Passive efforts produce passive results. I'm not mocking those people for not showing up. I'm saying that is the mechanism. That is cause and effect. That is cause and effect. If you go and put in 30 minutes of work, you get 30 minutes of results. That's, that's how that works. This is cause and effect. But my favorite example in the Bible is this big, long thing you can't read. <laughs> Let's give it some context. And I'll let you go. Open to 2 Kings 13, 14 through 19. I don't hear as many Bibles as I heard towards the beginning of this. You guys are probably just getting better at focusing at that screen. So here is a perfect uh, microcosm of tenacity. 
2 Kings 13, verses 14 through 19. Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Joash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him, saying, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. He was exclaiming, We know you are the power of Israel. You're a godly man. Elisha said, Go get your bow and some arrows. So he did. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said. Shoot, Elisha said. And he shot. And Elisha said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. They were having problems with the Syrians at that point. Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the, the Armenians at Aphek. So he anticipated a conflict. And he said, you will completely destroy this enemy of Israel. Then he said to Joash, take the arrows. And the king took them. And Elisha told him, strike the ground with them. He struck the grounds three times. One, two, three. And he stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed them. But now you will defeat them only three times. Are you guys seeing the cause and effect? What is God calling us to be? Tenacious. I'll leave you with this point. You may be struggling, but pick up those arrows that God has told you and beat the ground with them. Beat them until there's nothing left of those arrows. Beat the ground until your hands are bloody. Your soul, your salvation depends on it. You don't earn your way to heaven, but God asks us for perfection. He asks us for mature growth. He asks us for effort and tenacity. The walk of a Christian is not for the faint of heart. It is for aggressive warfare against self, against Satan. But be meek and be tenacious and be kind. Let's end with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, this morning we give you our heart. We ask that you take it because we can't really give it to you without your help. It is your property already. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it pure for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me in a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich and current, where the rich current of your love can flow through my soul. Grow me. Help me to grow in you and be mature, to be perfect before you. So in that great and holy day when you arrive, I am ready. I will fit in in heaven. I will already be perfect through your grace. We pray in your precious and holy name. Amen.